For several weeks, um, I preached in a sermon series that we called Made New. And last week, uh, Matthew Zottarelli was here and he finished up that series. And the main uh, thrust of that series was this. The main thrust of this series was to see how Jesus walks into the life of a person and everything changes. How Jesus has the ability to make everything brand new in a person's life. And we've been looking at that and, and thinking about that. And today's message, I want to just share with you that, uh, first of all, you know I'm a preacher, so I'm going to preach. But I want to come at you in a little bit of a different type of tone, if you will, God helping me. Because really what I want to do, if I was able to somehow open my heart to you today and talk to you pastor to people and do a little more talking. And I, although I know because I know myself pretty well that I'm going to end up preaching because I'm just a preacher. That's just how I do the, the attitude I have is almost to sit down in a chair in front of you and look you in the eye and, and just share some things from my heart to you, pastor to people, things that are on my mind and uh, things that I think tie in very well with some of the things that transpired while we were going through our particular series made new. And also, what a wonderful testimony we heard today as um, God was able to use uh, Brother David and 18, 4th, 5th and 6th graders came to know Christ this week uh, through that ministry. And it is that kind of foundation, if you will, do me this favor, lay that foundation down for the things that we're going to look at today and the things that are going to come from my heart as a pastor to you, the church here. Uh, you are the church. This building is not the church to me. This building is a tool. You are the church. And I want to talk to you. So give me a few moments as I do my best to speak to you out of Acts chapter 5 today. Acts chapter 5, and as you are looking that up, and, and it will be projected on the screen, I'm going to tell you that what we're about to read actually is in the middle of a whole lot of chaos. <laughs> there's, there's, there's a whole lot of, of upheaval going on in the middle of what we're about to read. There's a lot of, of emotions. People's emotions are very high as we enter into this, okay, there is a meeting going on, and you will see that someone in that meeting speaks up. So let's just uh, go there, and I'll bring you up to speed as we go along. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. Then he addressed them, men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Theudas appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, and all his followers were dispersed, and it all came to nothing. And after him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed, and all his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone, let them go. For if their purpose of, or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you'll not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. His speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. 
And then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and to let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name day after day in the temple courts. And from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. Hang on to that for a few moments. Too often in our headlines, there are news stories where we hear about a missing person. And they're always hard stories to hear, hard stories to see. And we all know that there are people who just seem to disappear. That happens. Sadly, in our world today, uh, we have more slavery going on in our world today than ever in our history of the world. There are so many people who have been kidnapped and stolen. Children, adults, young adults, stolen forever. And they're made into slaves. People disappear. Sadly, other people are killed and never found. And we've all seen or maybe even participated in massive efforts to find someone who is missing. Perhaps no story, news story shocks us and hurts us more as a society and as a people as to when we find out that some child is missing. I still remember very vividly when a child in the community where I was pastoring in Delaware came up missing. She just didn't uh, report home after school. And it turned out, in the, in the, to take you to the end, that she was abducted by a stranger and killed. But I remember it was right around Christmas. On Christmas Eve, there was a massive army of people out there helping the search and rescue people, trying to find this precious little girl. And they spent their Christmas Eve not with their families. They spent their Christmas Eve walking in the cold through woods, searching, calling out her name, trying to find this little girl. And that happens in our hearts and happens in the hearts of people when a child is lost or someone is in peril in our society. In the United States of America, whatever wrongs that we have going on, I will say that this is a positive. We, you will see immediately people coming together of all walks of life, ages and creeds and colors and, and, and cultures. And they come together and they try to assist someone in peril and they try to find someone somebody who is lost and there are massive efforts and we have seen these efforts when there's a tragedy and perhaps an earthquake or something people will come together who don't know each other and they will work frantically to try to rescue somebody who is in peril it is in our culture it is in our our nature as a, a nation still thank god for that and we just tend to do that and I, I will tell you why we do that. I will tell you why we will spend Christmas Eve looking for a lost little girl. I'll tell you why we will risk ourselves at times in sacrifice to try to rescue somebody who's in danger. It is because we think that person is worth it. It's because as a society, and, and, and I know we have many controversial uh, and, and, and many uh, ways that we, we, we uh, don't show this, there's still a value in our society that people are worth finding, people are worth saving. That is still part of our culture, but I want to remind you that that value, people being worth finding, worth rescuing, that value comes from the heart of our God. The God who created us. It is in his heart. 
And I need to just camp on that for just a couple of seconds and tell you, I'm so grateful for God who thinks we're worth it. Amen. I'm so thankful that God has decided every single person is worth finding and saving. Second Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. Some understand slowness. slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Second, or First Timothy 2, 3, this is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Uh, John chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Certainly you know these. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. That is a value that God has. And, it, and, the, and that innate desire in our hearts to find the lost, to rescue somebody who's in peril, that comes from God. God puts that in us. And the value of every single person to God is far greater than we will ever understand. His heart is that every single person would turn to Him, enter into a big relationship with Him, know Him and love Him, And so, as we well know, because we preach about this all the time in our church, he initiated this radical plan where he sent his one and only son to this world, seeking out people who were broken and lost so he could make them new. That is his value. I want to remind you that as part of his plan to save and to rescue people, to find the lost, At this point in our history, in this era, the church is a very big player in how God reaches lost people. I want to remind you all as your pastor that Jesus has commanded us to make disciples and to go out and rescue lost people. He assigned a task to spreading his message to us. And there have been times in all honesty and candor when I have wondered why God would ever want to entrust such an enormous responsibility to ordinary people like me. I've asked the Lord many times, Lord, why have you called me to preach the gospel when you could have sent an angel? (laughs) And I have a feeling if you got to pick today, whether or not you got to listen to this old old preacher standing in front of you and look at me and, and while I preach you or have an angel to appear, I think you would have checked the box that said angel. And I understand that because I ain't no angel. And, and so I wonder sometimes that God would do this. But God in his infinite wisdom knew that the task needed to be given to us. And I want to remind you that his value is that every single person who ever walks through the door of our church is worth it. It's a person that he loves. He created. He was there when, when they were created in the womb. We dedicated children today because children are precious to God. And you matter to God. Every person matters. No matter who they are. And that's a value of the Lord. And I want to remind you it is our responsibility to be a contact point between a living God. The eternal God and ordinary lost, broken, hurting people. And church, I don't want us to lose sight of that. So God's plan to save people 
was uh, at some point in history given over uh, greatly to the church, the body of Christ. God enables his vision. Let me share with you a little bit of the story behind our scripture so that we understand what is going on. I'm going to go back a ways in, in, in uh, that day and days before when Peter and John, after being filled with the Holy Spirit, were on their way to a prayer meeting. And as they are on their way, they, they had to, to, in order to go into the temple in Jerusalem, there was a gate that they had to pass through. The gate, ironically, was called the Gate Beautiful. And sitting there at this gate was a man who had been crippled for a very, very long time. He was lame, and his legs had no strength whatsoever. Probably atrophy had set in, and he probably had very spindly, little broken legs that he would sit on a mat. And in that culture and in that day, there wasn't some type of governmental system to take care of the broken and the poor. And so if you were a beggar, you were very poor. And you were literally depending on the kindness of others in order to have something to eat. And so somebody had helped him get there to his spot. And perhaps he was on a mat, probably. That's what usually happened. And here's this man sitting here. And what he is doing is he is relying on the kindness of people who go to church. He's waiting right there at the temple gate. In order for them to go to temple, they have to go through this gate beautiful. And he's sitting there, and it was very, very much in the culture of that day, where they would sit there, and when people would go by, he would call out to them, alms for the poor. And that simply was their their way in that culture for a beggar to say, would you please help me? Can you please spare change to me? My wife and I on vacation uh, had occasion, uh, a brief occasion where we were uh, in a city and, and there were several people who were asking us for spare change and things. So we've all had that experience. That's what he would do. And he would depend on the kindness of strangers to help him. And he was there and Peter and John are going to... A prayer meeting. And let me just say something to you. This is a Peter that was made new. Remember I preached about him. This is the same Peter who had denied knowing Jesus. Not that long ago. But now something had happened. He had been filled with the Spirit of God. He had been, he had experienced Pentecost. And this man was filled with the Holy Spirit. So was John, his brother. They're on their way to pray at the temple. They're on their way to seek the Lord. And as they're walking there, they encounter this beggar. And the Holy Spirit, who had great access to their heart at this point, was able to reveal to them, I want to heal this man. And so I want you to believe and I want you to speak in faith and I'm going to show my power in the healing of this man. And so this man is sitting there and Peter and John felt that urging from the spirits of Peter said as he stepped up to this man. And it, it appears that the man's attention was somewhere else. Peter said, look at us. And the man looked up and I'm sure he held out his hand. Expecting to receive a gift of a monetary gift from them, excited that somebody was paying attention to him as he sat there on the mat, because I'm sure many people just wouldn't even make eye contact with this man. He's sitting there, he's looking up, he's holding out his hand, and Peter does something that he doesn't expect. Peter grabs his hand. And he looks this man in the eye with a piercing look, I believe. And Peter, in, in Peter's way of speaking, says to him, basically, look, I don't have any money. Silver and gold we don't have. 
We don't have money for you today. And I'm sure that very instant that man's heart sunk a little bit. And, the, and he probably wondered, then why are you holding on to my hand? I love what happens here when Peter says, but such as we have, we give to you. And he pulls this man up in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Walk. And God did an amazing thing. It wasn't Peter. It wasn't John. They were just his vessels. They were just his servants. But when he said those words, power went into this man's legs and muscles began to form. And when he stood up, he found that he could stand. Not only could the man stand, the Bible said he began to walk. And after he began to walk, he got excited and began to run. And after he found that he could run, he got a little more excited and he began to jump up and down. Oh, for a day where some Christian would get a little bit excited in church once in a while and praise God. I would like to see that, to be very honest with you. But anyway, this happens. And what would you do? You've been crippled all of your life, or practically all of your life. You're on a mat. You're begging for a subsistence, for just just to exist. You're asking for help. You have to humiliate yourself. And suddenly, a man comes to you and grabs your hands, and in the name of Jesus, you are healed. I promise you, if you're like me... You would be going bonkers. I think I might have tried a few handsprings or something just to try out my new legs. But the Bible tells us what happens. He went into the temple with Peter and John. And he didn't go in just walking quietly. No, he was blessed. He was happy in his spirit. And I know we get uncomfortable when Christians get emotional. Woo, bless God. And and they shout and they carry on. But folks, can I just tell you something? When 18 fourth, fifth, and sixth graders came to Christ the other night, the angels in heaven rejoiced and they were having a party. And it would be okay for us to get a little happy about people coming to Jesus Christ. This man was beside himself. He was, oh, I can't believe it. And he was praising the Lord. So he came into this, this temple and, and the temple leaders, the, the, the religious leaders, the priests of the day, looked down on their agenda and they did not have on their man walks in praising, jumping and, and giving glory to God. Nor did they have on there Peter to be the guest speaker. But when these men, this man came in praising God and blessing God in the temple, the attention is drawn to the disciples. And they come over to Peter and John and Peter begins to preach the gospel message. Oh, yes. That disciple who was made new by Jesus at that breakfast meeting, filled with the spirit. And he preaches. And as he is preaching... The, the other religious leaders, the godly men that they are, says, this is out of order. We are not going to have this. And they called the guards. And they say, get that guy out of here as he is preaching. And he's not even finished his message. And they come to take him away. They come and they take John away. But the Bible tells us it was too late. Because many who were there gave their hearts that morning. Jesus Christ. And they were made new in that temple. Just like that man was. And this powerful thing. Is going on in the lives of the disciples. And and so they're dragged in there. 
And they're told, look, you can't do this. They're, they're, they're put in, uh, in under guard. And the next day, Peter and John had to appear before these religious leaders and give an answer. And they're questioned. And then they were threatened. They said, do not speak about Jesus anymore. Don't use his name. Don't tell, tell people about him in the church here. And can I interrupt myself? And I just ask you to throw this up here as a question for yourself. What if for some reason our government made a decision, look. The place to worship your God is in your home. You will not go to church anymore. And you will not gather publicly and talk about the Lord. And you will never speak to other people on the street about Jesus. I will find you. We will take things from you. This is illegal. This is hate speech. What if our government were to say that? How would that affect you? Well, that was similar to what was happening to the disciples. Except they were told plainly, we will kill you. We will take your life. And so they're there, they're questioned. And when they leave that meeting, the first place that they wanted to go was back to their people, the church. The brand new church that was born on Pentecost Day and was now thousands of people strong. They go back and they go to the other leaders. Peter and John are standing there and they shared with the people, look, this is what we were told. We were told that um, we were threatened and we were told we better not speak again in the name of Jesus. And they said, we need to pray to God. And I love what they prayed about. They didn't say, oh, God, protect us. Wasn't a prayer in there for protection. You know what they prayed for? They said, God, make us bold. Make us, uh, make us willing to risk something. Make our, our hearts uh, full of courage. And help us in the face even of our government to pray and to preach and to share Christ and to, to do what we did today. God, make us bold. And so they were down on their faces. Very brief prayer that you can read there in Acts chapter 4. They called out to God. They asked him to make them bold. And while they were praying, oh, I love this story. The building they were in filled up with smoke. And smoke is a sign of God showing up. If I'm ever, oh, I want this to happen one day for me. If I'm ever up in here and this place fills up with smoke and it's not coming out of the ductwork, I'm going to stay right here because that means God is showing up, right? And so the presence of the Lord was there and the place filled up with smoke and the place began to shake like an earthquake was shaking it. And the foundations of that building would end up all cracked. And I'll tell you, I will personally find a way to pay for Crack foundation if God will come here and do that. I want to be here when God shows up. And what does God do when he answers the prayer? He fills them with his presence and his spirit. And they are so bold that they can't help but talk about the Lord. And they go out and they're doing exactly the opposite of what they've been threatened against to do. They are telling people about the resurrected Jesus Christ that they know. And the church ministered with more power. Many people who were sick were healed. And many, many became disciples because of that prayer meeting. And the church grew rapidly and with so much power that the religious leaders got beside themselves. And they had the disciples arrested again. And they locked them up. But that didn't work. Because the Lord sent an angel and opened up the jail cell. And just said, come on, Peter, let's get up. Come on. 
They've had enough with you. Yeah, I'm going to take the chains off of you too. Let's go. And so, I mean, all that the world was trying to do and all that the authorities were trying to do to shut them up, uh, they couldn't do it. And so they, they, they're planning on uh, some kind of trial. And the, early the next morning, there are the disciples out there in the courts of the temple and other places telling people about Jesus. And the captain and his officers went out and they brought them again. This time they're before the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin are the very same people. Who had Christ in front of them and condemned him to death. Very sane people. This isn't very many months after Jesus is crucified. And now I have brought you up to speed. They're threatening the disciples. And listen folks, they flogged them. Let me help you remember what flogging was. It was a brutal punishment. It killed people sometimes. And so it left them hurting, bleeding, broken. And yet when they leave that meeting after they are threatened say, don't you dare mention Jesus again. We told you once and we're not telling you anymore. We're going to take your life. And they have them flogged. And it is there in this meeting that this, this one Pharisee stands up and says, listen, folks, you better let them go. If this is a human effort, then, folks, it's going gonna, it's gonna to go away because they're humans. But if this is of God... You're not battling against men. You're fighting God. And it's just going to get worse for us. So let's let them go. And the plan seemed good. Church, please let's never forget that our mission doesn't come from man. Our mandate comes from the scriptures and from the heart of God. And let me say this to you again. We're called to rescue lost, broken, miserable, hurting people. Because they're worth it. If you are born again and you have a big relationship with Jesus Christ today, it's because Jesus thought you were worth it. He came for you. And so I have to tell you that what is on my heart to say to you today is I cannot be a pastor of a church that doesn't hold this as a great value, as a key value. We have the word reach on our wall because of this. Because I believe that every single person who lives in this area who doesn't have currently a relationship with Jesus is somebody who is worth rescuing. And if we ever get to the point as a church where that isn't a priority to us, then we are in a situation we don't want to be in. I'm going to ask a question for you. And this is I set all of this. I set a table and I promise to really speed up my message. But I want to ask three questions for us. And they all start the same way. If it would mean more people come into Christ. If it would mean more people comes to Christ. What would we dare? I just love the fact that these disciples, although they were warned not to preach again in the, in, in the uh, name of Jesus, they go to God and they didn't say, Lord, protect us. Lord, help us. Lord, Lord keep us from trouble. Lord, you know, uh, make my life more comfortable. They didn't pray any of that. What they prayed is, Lord, give us courage. Make us bold. God, they're worth it. And if I have to be beaten so that somebody knows Jesus... I'll be beaten, Lord. Give me the courage. 
Can we all admit that sometimes it's hard to share Christ with lost people? Can we all admit that a lot of us, for a lot of us, we'd almost rather take a beating than tell anybody about Jesus? Can we just be honest about it and say that it's a difficult thing? But folks, as a church and as an organization, we need to be willing to dare to do whatever it takes. What would we dare if, if, if it would mean more people come into Christ? What would we dare? What if our government were to ever say, don't go to church anymore? Would we dare gather together? Would we dare pray for boldness? Would we dare to defy people who think that we are idiots? By the way, we live in a culture where a lot of people think people like us are nuts. Would we dare braving all of that because we believe in the value of lost people mattering and being worth it? Do you, do you know that God can use us? I love what is uh, spoken in Matthew chapter 19 when Jesus is explaining how difficult it is for some people to come to Christ. And again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, and who then can be saved? These, this is the verse I want you to capture. Jesus looked at them and he said, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all Things are possible. And in Philippians chapter 4 verse 13. Many of you love this. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Church, do we believe this or not? Do we believe that God can do anything? Anything. Do we believe that we can do all things through Christ? Including telling people about Jesus. I think that the power of God is still alive and well in his church. And is present with those who will dare to endeavor to task. Of pursuing people. I think when a congregation has the courage to embrace the command of Jesus to go make disciples. God empowers them to do it. I firmly believe that all things are possible with God. That's why we took a few minutes this morning to anoint people with oil. That on the outside to most of the world looks ridiculous. A person is sick and you're going to put oil on them and you're going to pray that God heals them. You know what? I believe he does. In fact, I know that I know that he does. I've seen it, been part of it, had the privilege of being present when God has touched people and healed them. So, yes, we'll dare to believe God. And I believe that people are worth the pursuit that we would ever put out. What would we dare? What thing that might require our courage? What would we dare to promise? What would we dare to give? What would we dare to try? If it meant more people would come to, to, to the Lord Jesus Christ. Not come to church. Come to the Lord. Know Him. I'm not here to make this church big. You might fire me after that comment. I'm not here to make the church big. I'm not here. Thanks a lot, brother. Wait a minute. Are you a member? Let me look you. Uh, I'm, I'm not here to try to, to grow a church for the sake of numbers. I'm here to rescue lost people and help them know that God loves them and he has a plan for their life and he can change their lives. Please listen to me, church. Whether we like it or not, God did not raise up the gospel chapel, this conversation. The conver uh, com oh, come on, congregation. And bless us the way that he has so that we will be nice and comfy and cozy. 
He did not put us here in this building and raise us up to, to just be a club. He raised us up to make a difference in this community and to help people who don't know him to know him. He raised us up to help people enter into a big relationship with a big God. Today we will have the honor, and I hope many of you come today, we will have the honor of baptizing a lot of people today. And they, most of these people are people who were made new by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the power of God, right here in the auspices of our ministries this very year. And they're being baptized. That's what we exist to do. We have many churches in our area. And a very small percentage of our population go anywhere to church. So we don't have to try to get other churches people. We just need to find people who need Christ. And we need to love them. And what would we dare? What would we dare to do that? What, if, what would we take on if, if God were to lead us to do something? God is driven to get his gospel in the ears of lost people. And shame on us if we don't pursue them. Shame on the kingdom of God or or the modern day church if we are not pursuing people. If the Gospel Chapel Wesleyan Church gets the mistaken notion that God only wants us to be happy and well and rich, then I'm going to tell you what's going to happen to the Gospel Chapel Wesleyan Church. We're going to die where we stand. And God will raise up another body of believers who will pursue lost people. He doesn't, he's not as concerned about making us happy as we are. He's more concerned about making us right with him. Amen? Amen. The bonus is we're in this wonderful, great, big relationship with God. And he walks with us in our trials and our difficulties. And he is good to us. And he does bless us. And he does make us happy. We do get to have joy. But that's not his goal. His goal is to reach the lost. And he wants to use our church. And I don't want our church to become a church where God used to move. I don't want to be that church. I don't want to be that one. It's not biblical for Christians to expect their church to be all about catering to their needs. That's not a biblical model. Congregations with an inward focus, everything geared to those who all are already in church, become more like a club. And I don't want to be a club. I'm not here to run a social club. I challenge you, my friends, find the church that has an outward focus and a reaching focus, a, per, a church that's pursuing people. And I will tell you, I don't think you're going to find in that church a whole big problem with people bickering and gossiping and complaining all the time about how bad it is. I think there, there's excitement in life in a church where people are pursuing people for the glory of God, where we will try to reach the loss. I love what Billy Graham said some time ago. The evangelistic harvest is always urgent. The destiny of men and of nations is always being decided. Every generation is strategic. We're not responsible for the past generation, and we cannot bear the full responsibility for the next one. But we do have our generation. God will hold us responsible as to how we fulfill our responsibilities to this age and take advantage of our opportunities. Those two Families who were up here with these beautiful children were holding responsibility of generation 
that we have to reach. We have to counter the lies of the enemy. There are plenty of them out there. Amen. We have to counter that with the truth of God's love and God's word. And we have a responsibility, church, to let people know this gospel. If it would mean more people would come to Christ, what would we dare? If it would mean more people coming to Christ, what would we drop? What would we drop? Sometimes in order to pursue people, it's necessary for a congregation to change the way that they do things. I don't want to burst anybody's bubble, but I will tell you that teenagers today are very different from teenagers when I was a teenager back in the Stone Ages. A lot of stuff has happened, man. And so if we use the methods that worked on me, if we stay in our little rut and we say this is the way we minister to teens and we teach them the songs that I learned, you get it. If we use the methods that we used to use years ago, hay rides and all those silly things, if that's how we do it, then we're not going to be effective. In order to reach teens today, we better know their world. We need to enter into their lives. We need to see their reality. We need to love them where they are. And we may not like our culture. We may think that our world is going to forgive this expression hell in a handbasket. But if we don't enter into that handbasket and we don't get relative to people who are broken and lost and speak their language a little bit, then we are never going to be able to reach them for Christ. Here's where this man is. And I, I hope you're with me. I want us to do everything. Anything we have to do, short of defying God's law, short of, of, of in any way disgracing the Lord, short of sin, I want us to do whatever we have to do to reach lost people. I want us to be that kind of church. Where people are found where they are. Where we go to them. We don't just uh, follow the mantra, if we build it, they will come. The Bible clearly tells us that we should be willing to make changes if that is something that is necessary. And if you want to see a dynamic church, meaning a changing church, just watch the New Testament church and the changes that they went through in order to be effective. As churches grow, it is necessary for changes to happen. So it happens. And nobody likes changes, right? I'm, I'm 60 years old. Old people don't like changes, But I realize that in order for our church to be effective, if there are changes to be made, for me, it's worth me putting aside my personal, my personal taste in order to reach lost people. Let me tell you something in the church. Um, the, my personal taste of music went away years ago, okay? It just, (laughs) it just did. It's just the way it is. I don't know if any of you have ever watched an episode of Duck Dynasty, but um, I will confess to you that for a long time, man, that was one of my favorite shows. When we got A&E on our TV uh, set, I watched Duck Dynasty. I don't even know if it's still running today, but I used to love that show. And I know a lot of that that stuff was, it was staged. I get it. I mean, how can anybody really be like that? They're, they they kind of are. And, and I just liked the show, okay? There was a lot of fun. Funniness in it. Uncle Cy was absolutely certifiable. But I love him, all right? And, and, and that show just kind of made me chuckle. And I think it's because I'm a redneck. I've been one all of my life. Can't change that. I grew up. And I could so relate to all this. I might be a polished redneck, but I'm, I'm a redneck. I got me an education and all of that. But I'm still redneck at heart. It's, 
I watched some of the stuff that they do, like the episode when they fought bees. I did that, okay? So I know, and I love these guys. So there was an episode where where Willie, the CEO, and you'll remember, Willie is the one who pretends at least to be very, very serious about the business. He's the businessman. He runs the company. Uh, he, he runs the duck call business. And, and um, he, they, they received a the call. He gets this call from a client, and this client wants a copious amount of duck calls in a very short period of time. And Willie says, okay, we'll get them right out to you, and we'll meet your deadline. And he knew that as they, as, as they operated, there was no possible way that they'd be able to make that many duck calls and ship them out and get them to these people. So, man, now Willie is scared. You know, he says, man, this is an important step for our business. We're going to grow, but we've got to get these duck calls out. He gets his workers together, family members, rednecks, remember? So he gets them all together, and he starts saying, look, we've got to get this many duck calls out. And his brother looks at him and says, are you out of your mind? We can't make that many. And they, they're arguing. They're saying, we're not going to do it. And he says, we can, if we're willing to change, we can make this happen. And if we automate, if, we do, if we're willing to make Changes and they're looking at him like a third eye just grew right there. And they're saying, what's wrong? We're not going to change. We like doing it this way. And this is the way we're going to do it. Does that sound familiar in the church of Jesus Christ? We don't like change. We don't want to change. And we're not going to. And Willie pushes on them. And, and finally, you see that one of their innovations in their factory is that they're going to install a big conveyor belt. It's one of the most hysterical things I see. They hook a truck to this thing. And they put it on its tire, or well, its wheel. And, and they're empowering it with this. And he starts the truck up and he puts it in gear. And, and before the episode's over, they're climbing inside of like kayaks and Shooting off of it and all that. It is, it's redneck. It's hysterical. I love it. Okay, my whole point of sharing this was that we all have resistance to change. But I'm asking you if it would, if it would mean one more person. If it would mean more people coming to Jesus Gospel Chapel. What would we drop? What would we say? You know what? We might have to stop doing this so that we can do this. What if we reallocated resources, if that's what it takes, in order to reach one more? I think people are worth it. I think if we have to, and I'm not thinking of anything, by the way. Just so you know, you may have some things you'd like to drop. And if you say the pastor, I tell you what. <laughs> there may be things that we need to, to see change. Things we need to drop in order to reach loss people what would we drop what would you personally let go of if it meant bringing more people to christ what do you have i'm reminded of what god asked moses in the desert moses what's that in your hand would you throw it down for him if it meant bringing more people to jesus finally if it means more people come to christ what will we do i like what paul said i like this attitude and 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Though I'm free and I belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I become like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I become like one under the law. Though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I become like one not having the law. Though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law. So as to win those who, uh, those not having the law. To the weak, I become weak. To win the weak. I become all things to all men 
to all, by all possible means, I might save some. And I just want to say to you, brothers and sisters, this speaks to me. I pray that we will be willing to do what we have to do, short of sinning against God, to bring people to Jesus. This is why I wanted to talk to you, church. I don't want us to ever lose sight of the fact that we want to be a church that has Bible studies that, that help you grow because grow is a, a priority. We want you to grow in Christ. We want to provide a wonderful uh, experience where you can love God back through worship and other ways, and we try to do that. We want to serve. We want to do that. We can't ever lose sight of the fact that we exist for Northampton, for Northampton County, for Lehigh County, Carbon County, and the surrounding area. We exist to shine the light of Jesus into the hearts of people. Not everybody's going to respond, but that's why we're here. That's what we are to do. Last year, a movie came out called Hacksaw Ridge. I don't, I'm not mentioning the title of this movie to make a recommendation that you go see it. I will tell you, it is rated R, and it's an extremely graphic movie. But I will tell you that the the movie itself was uh, centered around true story of a man by the name of Desmond T. Doss. He was, as it turns out, a medic in the Army. Desmond Doss was raised in Virginia. And it's an extraordinary movie because of uh, it's the story of a man who was a conscientious objector, but he still served in World War II as a medic. You see, Desmond believed that the war was just, but that killing people for him was not. And so Desmond was one of very few people who went through boot camp and he was training to go to war in Japan. And in boot camp, when they were issuing uh, weapons, he said, I can't take that. And he requested and he had to go through a lot to get permission to become a medic. He went through the training to be a medic, and he never carried a sidearm. And in the bloodiest, one of the bloodiest battles in World War II in Japan, in Okinawa, a place that was nicknamed Hacksaw Ridge, Desmond Doss was able, without firing one shot, to save 75 men who had been wounded. It was a vicious place. And they, they, his unit was charged with going up this cargo net that's 400 feet in, in, in height. They would have to go up, get up on that ridge, and they were to take that ridge. And the enemy was well dug in, in caves and behind uh, embankments. And they had machine guns. And these guys were going up there getting cut down. And a lot of men lost their lives in an effort to take this, this ridge. And this army medic single-handedly began to rescue his comrades who had been wounded in battle. And it's a graphic, as I said, it's very graphic. But this man, instead of running from bullets and dodging them, he ran into the hail of bullets to get to wounded people. And it took hour upon hour. It, 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 it went into days where this man was on top of that ridge going to one man at a time, 
patching him up the best he could, physically carrying and dragging the man back to the, the edge of that, that cliff, putting him in a, a harness he made out of ropes and lowering him 400 feet to safety. One at a time, 75 men. And here's the part of the story that touches me. And this is purported by Desmond Doss to be true. Desmond has since passed away. He received the Congressional Medal of Honor for his service. But this is purported even by Desmond. Desmond uh, was a believer. And after a while in his exhaustion, after rescuing a man, he would lay there panting, catching his breath. And he would look up to God. And he said, give me strength for one more. God, just one more. Give me strength to get one more down. And man after man, he would drag, he would get that man down, he would sit there, and he would call out to God, one more, God. Give me one more. And I have to wonder, what would happen to the church of Jesus Christ in North America if we had just a few people who had that heart, that kind of attitude for rescuing the lost? And church, I want you to know, that's what I want us to be like. That's the kind of prayer I want us to be lifting up to God. God, give us another one. We want to light another candle to celebrate the glory of God. We want to bring one more. One more, God. Give us strength for one more. Give us wisdom for one more. Help us to know how to reach another lost person and let them be made new. That's who I want us to be. That's who I intend to lead us to be. And if you're uncomfortable with that, I understand. Because it is uncomfortable sometimes when you got a pastor who is push, push, pushing. we got to reach people. we got to save the lost. But that's who I am. And I just want us to have a heart for the people who live around us. One more, God. One more.